Hello friends, my name is Brenna and I'm Danny, and, and this, this is Law Ghost Stories. Today's episode contains graphic information that some listeners may find disturbing. Listeners discretion is advised. Welcome back, Lagos friends. As you already know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, but for my episode this month, it'll be slightly different in that this case shows what happens to someone with a severe mental illness that is left untreated, multiple systematic failures from our officials, as well as generations of alcoholism, abuse, and mental illness passed down combined with an abusive childhood. And Danny, I know you know a little bit about this case because you were actually the one to send it to me, but how much do you actually know about this case? So actually, I was just cruising around to look at different mental illness cases. And I mean, I'm partial to Texas cases just because, you know, bigger and better in here, right? (laughs) So uh, when I got the case suggestion, I was actually going to do this case until I got that case suggestion. So then I flip-flopped and then sent it your way because I figured... You like the gory stuff. Yeah. (laughs) That you know me well for. And it's surprising because obviously like you sent me this episode and once I dug into it, it just got more and more and more bizarre and more and more frustrating. But from your case two weeks ago, it's actually a lot more similar than I realized and we definitely didn't plan the religious part of it. Yeah. But there's going to be a lot of things that it's like, well, we, See, it just means that it was you just all lined that. up for yeah. a reason. Like, Absolutely. The suggestion to this one, it all works out for a reason. Absolutely. So. And just thinking about the ending of this case makes my blood literally boil. So I'm just going to warn you now, Danny. like you are going to get angry. Oh, God. Probably multiple times. So I just want to like prepare you and prepare our listeners as well. <laughs> I hope I'm not the only one that bleeps this series. <laughs> I already have one for me. <laughs> yeah, you you probably will have at least two. That is my count. Oh, goodness. And I also do want to add, before we get into it, I want to add a trigger warning as this episode will contain very graphic talk of suicide, physical and sexual abuse, and self-harm. So, Danny, are you ready? Yeah, let's go. All right, let's take a deep breath together because we actually do need it. All right. Today, I'm going to tell you about Andre Thomas. Andre was born March 17th in 1983 and was raised in Sherman, Texas, which is a small town about 60 miles north of Dallas. He was the fourth out of six boys from Mother Rochelle Thomas. Unfortunately, the Thomas family lived in poverty and often could not afford the basic necessities for the home and for all of the boys. Andrew's mother, Rochelle, often relied on local churches to help pay bills as she was a struggling alcoholic. Her childhood had been full of abuse and trauma. Her mother and Andre's grandmother, Vivian, was an alcoholic by her early teens and had nine children with five different men starting at the age of 14. One of the men she married was another alcoholic named Johnny. Johnny once pushed Vivian so hard while she was pregnant that the child's foot broke. Mm -hmm. And just to clarify, the child in utero's foot broke, which I didn't even know was possible. Oh my god. Yeah. I did not know that was possible either. Right? Like, they're so protected in there, you would think. 
Johnny would also burst into fits of anger in front of the children, and one child recalled seeing him throw all of the food that was inside the home outside in the front lawn. Another man Vivian married was alcoholic Walter. Walter was, you guessed it, also abusive and threatened to kill Vivian several times. One incident, Walter had a gun pointed at Vivian's head threatening to kill her, and one of her sons, Gregory, who was 17, attempted to intervene but was shot in the stomach and died. Walter often bragged that he, quote, planted one of Vivian's kids and fully intended to, quote unquote, plant another one. In addition to killing Rochelle's brother, who she was closest in age with, he also sexually assaulted Rochelle. Rochelle at this point began drinking heavily from this young age. Rochelle's mother, Vivian, believed that she had a quote-unquote gift as she often heard God's voice telling her what to do. The voices would, and I'm using air quotes here, be passed on to Rochelle, who then passed this gift on to Andre. Okay, let's back up. He killed the brother of Rochelle Mm -hmm. and sexually assaulted Rochelle. Mm -hmm. And Rochelle is Andre's mother. Ugh. Yeah. And so I didn't really find anything. I'm assuming he at least was arrested because you can't just kill somebody, even if you're going to try and say self defense. Like, yeah, like, how did that not? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not sure exactly what happened there, but really, the more I looked into his generational background, the sadder and worse it got. Mm. Yeah. And that's just half of Andre's bloodline. His father, Danny Thomas, came from a similar background of violence, alcoholism, and mental illness. One of his brothers suffered from alcohol-induced dementia, from severe alcohol abuse, and another sibling was bound to a state mental ward. That is some intense alcoholism. Yeah, Yeah, from young, young age. So it's not surprising to learn that Rochelle and Danny weren't the most present or caring parents to Andre and his siblings. Although there wasn't any physical abuse noted, there was definitely neglect present. The two were often gone, so the boys were left to fend for themselves, often in the home without electricity. When able, the boys would walk across the street and spend as much time as they could at the local Baptist church. Even with this rough childhood, Andre thrived as a young child. It was said that Andre was a tinkerer, as he often broke things apart to learn how to put them back together. He needed to know how everything worked. He also thrived at church, and he was known as the kid that would immediately raise his hand before the Sunday school teacher could even finish their question. Andre was also placed in his school's gifted and talented program during his early years. Around third grade is when Andre realized he had the quote-unquote gift that his mother and grandmother had. He would tell the other kids at school about the voices and didn't shy away from hiding it. Unfortunately, Andre's childhood was moving further into the darkness as the neglect and emotional abuse caught up to him. At the age of 10, Andre attempted suicide by slitting his wrist after his mother told him she should have aborted him. A year later, when Andre was 11, he was first introduced to the criminal justice system when he was charged with criminal mischief after causing some damage to golf carts. And at age 13, he once again attempted suicide after his mother told him again that he should have been aborted. He attempted to saw his arm with a butcher knife. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's that's some serious trauma. Like, mm. I can't even imagine his state of mind for doing that and uh, yeah that's so sad yeah 
But I did want to note the tinkering and how he excelled in school and church. I feel like it's pretty common with kids that are neglected or have rough childhoods. They try to excel elsewhere in their lives to kind of offset that negative environment that they are in at home until it really just starts to crumble. So it was really interesting to see that progression of you're doing really, really well to attempted suicide to then starting the criminal stent. Mm -hmm. It kind of follows the same patterns that we've historically seen in cases for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially when children are young, they hold on like, right, they can't control their home life. They can't control the trauma or the neglect, but school is something that they can control Mm -hmm. until like it catches up with them. And obviously like preteens, you're starting to have those hormonal changes. You don't want to go to school anyways. And that's kind of when things kind of fall apart. Yeah. Andre would face criminal charges again shortly after this incident when he stole a car and crashed it into a ditch. When he met with a probation officer to begin a case plan, Andre was all alone. No parent, not a guardian there, no one. Rochelle often missed appointments with all kinds of excuses. She told Andre's probation officer once that it was too cold for her son to be outside and that's why they shouldn't meet. Remember, they're in Texas. Even North Texas doesn't get that cold. By seventh grade, Andre's education had spiraled down as well as he had to repeat the grade. He did try to keep up with his education at times and was able to rejoin the gifted and talented program for a period of time, but his grades regressed again. At the age of 14, his mother told him of plans to move the family to Oklahoma, but this unfortunately landed Andre in a juvenile detention center as he was still on probation and could not leave the state. Andre requested for a work permit so that he could pay off his court fees and restitution from the car theft, but the judge denied the request because he was still only 14, which was too young to work. Wait, so you're telling me because his mother moved him to Oklahoma that that caused him a penalty? Yeah, because he's a minor, right? So, like, and these were just plans. I don't think the family actually ever even did move. But it was like the court was like, okay, your mother can't take you away from Texas. So, like, in fear of that happening, we're going to place you in juvenile detention center. Like, I get it, but it's also, that's horrible. Yeah. He cannot control that. Yeah. Luckily... And this isn't the case most of the time, but it did seem for that short amount of time um, that he was in the juvenile detention center, like the system became his parental, Mm. like he did get some stability out of that. I mean, that sounds terrible because you're like, you're literally in juvie, Yeah. but like he did have food all the time. He had like constant shelter. He had a routine, but it's just unfortunate like this kid is literally asking to work to pay off these things get his life in order and then he has to be thrown in a juvenile detention center because he's just an environment that no one honestly cares yeah absolutely and if his teen years weren't complicated enough andre became a father at the age of 16 with his then girlfriend laura boren the two had been together for some time when laura gave birth to their son andre jr Shortly after the birth, Andre dropped out of high school, earned his GED, and worked odd low-paying jobs to get by. One job Andre worked, he worked as a gravedigger for the local cemetery, so not the best jobs. Mm -hmm. The young family struggled in their own place and weren't able to pay the bills, so the family moved in with Laura's parents. 
They lived with them for a short while and for reasons unclear, they then moved out of her parents' house and in with Andre's mother, Rochelle. The pair got married on Andre's 18th birthday, but two weeks later, Rochelle kicked them out of the house. Laura moved back in with her parents with little Andre, and Andre moved in with a brother. Because the two were no longer able to live together, they separated for good after about four months of marriage. Why were they not able to live together? So that's why I was I was kind of confused by that because they had both moved in to Laura's parents. I'm assuming here that maybe they didn't want Andre to live with them. Yeah. And then they just had to live separately because he couldn't live with Rochelle. I'm not sure why Laura couldn't live with the brother. It might have been unsafe for the baby. Mm-hmm. So it, it was kind of unclear, but they just like had to go their separate ways. It was like life kind of forced them apart, but also it was like a natural split. Yeah. Andre continued working odd jobs and struggled to stay afloat. He began drinking and using drugs while cycling in and out of county jail. He struggled to pay for the basic necessities such as electricity and heat, which caused Laura to bring over little Andre for visits less and less. On top of this, Andre's mental health deteriorated more and more. The voices became louder, the suicidal thoughts persisted, with several more suicide attempts. In addition, Andre began obsessing over biblical passages, trying to analyze the apocalyptic messages. For a Texas Tribune article, Andre's father recalled, quote, he was hung up on revelations. He would try to analyze it down to the T, end quote. Friends also recalled that Andre told him he felt as if he was living the same day over and over while the angels and demons fought in his head. Okay, yeah, so definitely seeing the intense similarities of our two cases. But I did want to go back to him hearing the voices. I know you mentioned earlier that he was hearing them at a young age. So does this mean that he was actually hearing them or was he struggling with some sort of mental illness from a young age or did these develop more and more over time or you're not really sure yeah so vivian and rochelle the grandma and mom Mm -hmm. i don't believe were fully ever like diagnosed but we can assume it was schizophrenia Mm -hmm. because they were it was you know a mental illness one of the kids had once said in an article about vivian the grandma that she didn't hold her gifts the gifts ruled her so Uh, like the voices were clearly like taking over Mm. and rochelle often said like god told her what to do and she knew the same thing about andre it is interesting the like i've done a little bit of research on schizophrenia i know we touched on it in the dorothea case but for paranoid schizophrenia it is a little bit different obviously you have the visual auditory hallucinations but with paranoid schizophrenia it's a lot of like people are after me or you know like really really scary intrusive hallucinations and thoughts yeah but yeah so it does seem to be progressing his auditory hallucinations and voices when he was younger seemed to be innocent right like he was still an innocent kid and he would tell his friends that he was this character from mortal Kombat, and you know like he would yeah it, so that's it's what like i was trying to things. like see if 
the dots were connecting like if he was just being a creative expressive kid or it was more of these are similar things and we saw this early on and then it just exacerbated yeah people knew it was clear from a young age that people knew and they also knew about his mother too right so they figured like okay these are the voices that yeah. his mother has as well mm-hmm. but yeah it is hard to distinguish especially for a young child because usually schizophrenia doesn't develop until you know at least teen to early adults so that's quite yeah. quite young to be diagnosed with schizophrenia yeah for sure the biblical obsession seemed to expand to his brother as well in january of 2003 andre is arrested after stabbing his brother after an altercation over music His brother believed that Andre's loud music was sending evil spirits through the wall. Andre was not indicted, although he was placed on suicide watch after he was arrested for the stabbing. His brother was admitted to a mental hospital. By early of 2004, Andre had hit rock bottom. He had just recently lost his good job as a maintenance worker for the city of Sherman. He stopped speaking for days at a time, placing duct tape over his mouth, and began obsessing over the secret messages he saw on the dollar bill. He attempted suicide again a couple months later by overdosing on cough medicine. Andre's friend brought him to a mental health facility in Sherman where Andre pleaded with the staff to kill him. He told staff, quote, life is too much for me to handle, end quote. The facility allowed him to leave on the promise from Andre that he would go straight to the local hospital, but when he never showed up, a warrant for his immediate apprehension was put out to officers. The police failed to enforce it, though. On March 6 of 2004, Andre's aunt and close confidant died from lung disease, and this crushed Andre. On March 26, Andre went to Texoma Medical Center after stabbing himself in the chest in an attempt to end his life, and the staff there placed another detention order to police. Andre is left unattended, though, long enough and is able to walk out before police could arrive to detain him. Police again failed to apprehend Andre, and there is no evidence that police went to search for him at his mother's house or any relatives' homes. The attending physician noted that Andre was, quote, psychotic, and would later testify that Andre believed he was living in a simulated reality where nothing was real. Police would finally run into Andre just a day later on March 27th when he walked into the station and confessed to killing his estranged wife, Laura, his four-year-old son, Andre Jr., and his half-sister, 13-month-old Leah Hughes. Oh my goodness. So were police detaining him because the hospital just felt like he was unstable and needed to be committed? Or what was the reasoning behind that? Well, so the facilities wanted police to detain him because they knew that... So it's kind of like if you have suicidal thoughts, I believed that they can place a hold on you for 48 hours Mm -hmm. just to like observe you. In this case, it sounded like... They kind of observed him, but they didn't actually detain him at either the health facility or the hospital because he was able to just leave. Leave, yeah. Yeah. So either they didn't take his suicidal thoughts or, I mean, he had stab wounds in his chest. So I'm not sure if they just treated that and was like, hey, someone's going to be here. They're going to take you somewhere safe and then left it there. yeah. Yeah. But police... From what it looks like, just completely was like, nah, we're not even going to look for him. Andre told police that he killed them because God told him that Laura was Jezebel. Andre Jr. was the Antichrist, and Leah was also an evil spirit. The voices also told him that he needed to be careful and use separate knives to kill each one in order to not cross-contaminate their blood 
or else the demons would not die. After stabbing Andre Jr. and Leia, he cut open their chest and removed their hearts. He mistakenly cut out a portion of Laura's lung instead of her heart after he stabbed her. He also placed a vertically folded dollar bill near Laura's leg, leaving the eye in the pyramid visible at the top because he believed the eye was evil. He then put their organs in his pocket, walked home, and stabbed himself three times again in the chest. Before explaining to his girlfriend that he killed his family, who would then drive him to the police station, he called Laura's mother and left a voicemail. And Danny, would you mind reading it for me? Quote, I'm Sherry. There is Andre. I need y'all's help. Something bad is happening to me, and it keeps happening, and I don't know what's going on. I need some help. I think I'm in hell. I need help. Someone needs to come and help me. I need help bad. I'm desperate. I'm afraid to go to sleep. So when you get this message, come by my house, please. Hello? End quote. Wow. Okay, first off, I do want to say I didn't know what Jezebel or the Jezebel spirit was. And now, honestly, if I ever hear that word again, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to be triggered. Very triggered. But, like, that is so methodical of what he did of, like, using different knives taking out different organs like this was something for someone in such a deranged state that it was like you would think he would have to think about that yeah and i only saw it in one article so i didn't put it in there but if it is true um it stated that so the day before and it seemed like there was actually like technically two days between um his last suicidal attempt it was probably you know 1 a.m. so it was considered like the next day Uh but it was it was kind of one of those things so the day before he was going to go over there to kill um laura and the kids and her current boyfriend which is leah's dad was over there and they were just like listening to some music so he's like watching in the window and supposedly he sees the boyfriend kind of like just kind of like messing with an extension cord that he had in his hand just kind of like tangling it around And he took that as a sign of like, he knows that they're evil and he is planning on killing them as well. He's going to strangle them. Oh my gosh. So they find out that he's there. The boyfriend ends up taking him home. And then that next day, as he was on the way to Laura's house, apparently um, the boyfriend was leaving the house and waved and nodded to him as (gasps) he was walking up. And he took that as like, do it. Yeah as confirmation yeah andre was held at grayson county jail after recovering from his self-inflicted stab wounds and refused to take the antipsychotic medication prescribed to him he told the nurse at the jail that laura andre jr and leah were actually dead he had removed their hearts to set them free from evil he continued to analyze the bible from his cell and on april 2nd andre reads passage matthew 5 29 According to the English Standard Version, this translates to, quote, And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that the whole body should be cast into hell. End quote. Andre did just that. He plucked out his right eye with his bare hands. I cannot. Okay. And do you see how similar? Like, yes. And like even just the quote. Or it's the literally just is, one. It is a different body part. Right. Like, that's I, yeah. so 
intense. Yeah. Auto inoculation is an extremely rare form of self mutilation brought on by extreme psychosis. There isn't much medical research on the topic for obvious reasons, but it is usually linked with religious paranoid delusions. And this is also not the first time we've seen this of where extreme things are wrapped around religion. I don't remember if it was one of your cases or mine, but it plainly stated that we only see this in people that are like so submerged super religious, yeah. In religion. I think that was in on Andrea Yates. Andrea yeah. Yates. Like case, it was yeah that aspect to it adds a whole nother level to people that suffer with mental illnesses which is just incredibly scary. yeah well it's like especially because right the idea the main idea of religion is to be good to one another to have like a set of good morals to live by mm-hmm. to be good to yourself and to be good to others and when it's put in these like twisted ways like it it's like almost one of the darkest things it's like more dark than just killing somebody because of jealousy you know it like really really turns things yeah no i mean anything can be perverted but when you pervert things like religion there are reasons why there are cases like this Mm -hmm. and like mine and some of the ones that we've talked about in the past because they take the slightest thing like if you were to read this and have no context of what was going on like if you just took this subsection out like, why are you talking about plucking out your right eye and casting it mm-hmm. out? So, of course, like, un- a mentally unstable person just seeing that portion of it with no additional context is like, oh, that's what I need to do. And it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And, like, how do you stop that, you know? Yeah. Like, how do you be like, oh, you have a history of mental illness in your family? No religion for you. <laughs> yeah, like, like, you can't really prevent that. And I'm just going to pick up on something that you said that, um, Andre was mentally unwell, right? You, mm-hmm. you believe that? Yeah. Okay. So after Andre was treated, Andre was evaluated by three separate psychiatrists who also figured he was not well. They all diagnosed Andre with some sort of schizophrenia, whether that was paranoid schizophrenia or schizophrenia, just all agreed that it was schizophrenia. All three also believed that he was unfit to stand trial, so Andre was placed in the Vernon State Hospital on June 23rd. 47 days later, full of evaluations and medications, Andre still heard the voices and often spoke to himself out loud. The hospital noted that they believe his hallucinations were substance-induced and that Andre was exaggerating his symptoms. This record seems contradictory to their actions, though, which were forcing Andre to wear large padded mittens the entire time he was there because they feared he would try to remove his other eye. Regardless, they deemed him fit to stand trial, and he was placed back in the county jail to await trial. I can't even touch this. Like, I can't. (laughs) Just wait there. On February 15, 2005, Andre trial begins. Less than one month later, on March 11, the jury did not believe he was insane at the time of the murders and sentenced him to death. That's right. Death. Andre spent 23 hours a day in his 6x10 jail cell, and his mental illness continued to worsen. He continued hearing voices and became confused on whether they were his own thoughts or the voices telling him to kill himself. He often hallucinated six-inch demons coming out of his prison walls and playing loud music. And I um, do want to mention there was another similar from your previous episode about 
jail roommates. Mm. Apparently, he had a roommate who believed he was the Antichrist, which very, very much frustrated and, like, angered Andre because he was like, no, I killed the Antichrist, you know? Yeah, oh my gosh. So, yeah. (laughs) He had to be moved from there. They could not be good roommates. No. On July 14th of 2008, Andre managed to procure a sharp enough object to cut his throat from his cell, causing a centimeter gash that required eight stitches. During a psychiatric assessment, a week later, he told the doctor that, quote, the government is conspiring to read my mind. That's why I ripped out my right eye. That's the righteous side. They can't hear my thoughts no more. I cut my throat. Gotta shed a little blood to save the world. Like the guy in the day room told me, don't lighten up, tighten up, end quote. On December 9th of 2008, Andre slipped his fingers behind his left eye and disconnected his eyesight from the world for good. He then swallowed his eyeball whole. He is only then moved to a psychiatric ward in Richmond. Clearly still unwell and struggling with his mental illness, Andre's attorneys attempt to appeal his death sentence in hopes that they could lower his sentence to life in 2009. They argue that He is now completely blind, which would reduce the amount of harm he could cause other people and himself, but the appeal was denied. The statement made by the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals sparked outrage in the public and media as they confirmed that Andre was, quote, clearly crazy, but he was also, quote, sane under Texas law. Yeah, so my comment, bigger and better in Texas, this proves it right now, because this is the stuff that I'm talking about. So frustrating. Like, How can you look at any of these pieces, what he's done? I mean, this man has tried to commit suicide since he was 10 years old. Yeah. And you're going to sit here and say that what he did. And honestly, how can you... I thought your state of being during your crime was what you were charged with. So even if you're going to sit here and say now he's deemed fit to set trial, he was on medication, he was in a hospital, he was being nursed back to a quote-unquote more normal state. So how can you then take that action that he had when you clearly deemed him Mm -hmm. insane? And That doesn't even make sense. There's some frustration, especially with that first attorney, because so the main doctor, when he was sent to the hospital after the three psychiatrists, which one was by the jail, one was from the attorney, and one was from the judge. So, like, three separate, like, didn't even have to do with each other. Found him unfit. And then the doctor was like, no, I think he's he's overkilling it. He's not actually that sick. So he's fit to stand trial. The attorney, Andre's defense attorney, could have said, like, well, I just had three people say he wasn't. So, like, let's get a second opinion. But he didn't. He, he just, just said, oh, took that doctor's. Next. Yeah. Yeah. And so these people that when they don't do their jobs and affect people so much, it makes me so angry. Like there are so many people that if you go into work and you mess up here and there, like that's fine. But those people that just, when you make a mistake, it affects your lives and you just clearly don't care. Yeah. Why are you doing what you're doing first off? And like how is there not a checks and balances like more in our system of where if you have – a job like that where you could be sentencing someone to be rehabilitated back to a more normal state or death. I don't know. Let's kind of check our facts here. Yeah. And not just rely well, on Texas one is like person. death. 
I think it was um, since the death penalty, and I didn't write it down, so don't like quote me on this, but since 1977, Texas was 37% of all executions. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. I don't know if they will ever get rid of it. They're just so hard. We love the death penalty. And I I don't even know why. And what's the point of like, they're not asking him to like be set free. They're like, hey, he should probably spend life. Like, he needs a lot of work and he needs to be watched like at all times. He needs proper mental care. And they're like, no death. But that's just laziness. Like, if that is the case of, like, you just don't want to do the work, like, you're talking about a human being. Like, if you want to get down to brass tacks, like, you're just lazy, and that man is a human being, so we're not going to just do that. I'm so sorry. We're not going to just do that. Well, and it's, like, especially in his case where everything is just, like, going wrong for him and literally, like, no one can help him, it seems like. Somebody kind of said, like, maybe death would be better, like, kind of put him out of his misery but like that is heartbreaking yeah that is heartbreaking yeah that that would be his only relief yeah because we as human beings in the state of texas and other places can't like care for another human being yeah but yeah okay so literally getting chills because we're getting to the part that makes my blood boil and i literally want to start punching the air so (laughs) we're gonna take a deep breath all right For this next appeal, in an article published September 22nd of 2021, Chuck Lindell for the Austin American Statesman explains that Andre's new legal team is seeking appeal on the basis that he did not receive 12 impartial jurors in 2005. His lawyers told the Supreme Court, quote, Far from the 12 impartial and unprejudiced jurors required by clearly establishing law, Thomas was convicted and sentenced to death by multiple jurors who harbored racial bias directly implicated by the facts of the case, end quote. Now, Danny, I'm not sure if you've ever been chosen for jury duty, but you know how they give out questionnaires to make sure that you'd be a good candidate for a juror? Yeah, of course. Okay. So I'm going to read what three jurors selected and commented on their questionnaires. This is from the same article I mentioned from the Austin American Statesman, and I'm definitely including these jurors' names. Juror Marty Ulmer checked a questionnaire box stating, quote, I vigorously oppose people of different racial backgrounds marrying and or having children, and I am not afraid to say so, end quote. In a comment box, he wrote, end quote, I don't believe God intended for this, end quote. Juror Charles Copeland checked the questionnaire option that read, quote, I oppose people of different racial backgrounds marrying and or having children, but I try to keep my feelings to myself, end quote. In his comment box, he wrote, quote, I think we should stay with our bloodline, end quote. And last but certainly not least, Juror Barbara Armstrong, like Charles, marked the option for opposing interracial marriage and children, but kept that opinion to herself. In the comment box, she wrote, quote, I think it is harmful for the children involved because they do not have a specific race to belong to, end quote. Marty Ulmer and Charles Copeland also added that their churches opposed interracial marriage, but only Marty was questioned about his selections. When Marty assured the attorneys that race would not affect his decision in trial, they placed him as a juror. And I know I didn't mention it for now, but Andre Thomas is a black male and Laura was a white female, making their child Andre Jr. mixed raised. So what do you think, Danny? Do you think these were impartial jurors? Oh, I think they nailed it. They definitely should have been picked. God bless Texas. 
I cannot believe the fact that like not only did you mark that and I mean it may sound like I'm laughing but it's because it's like the most ridiculous thing like you're like coming from an interracial background like I'm like yes um thank you Barbara for bringing it to my attention that I do not belong to a specific race Um, you're confused (laughs) every day so thank you for checking the box um as well as Charles we definitely should stick within our own bloodline because you know I'm confused every day I I I can't want to get that incest bloodline (laughs) going you know I I literally cannot with these yeah I told you is your blood boiling like it is and I can't believe that these were asked and like I'm still clearly these people were so passionate about it like not only did you check the box but you You wrote wrote these ignorant things like that's incredible. You took the time. You took the. That's what I'm saying. Like people, like let nobody me is trying to do jury duty. Real feelings here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No one is trying to do jury duty. Yet you make it a point. Oh, they wanted. Really, they wanted to get be after it. And yet they were still picked. Yeah. So and all twelve jurors were white. And another thing is, right? Both attorneys, the prosecutor and the defense attorney can object to jurors right so the defense attorney could be like whoa what's this like this ain't cool yeah um and what year was this again 2005 when they were picked 2009 when they're finding out about it and now appealing about it Mm. so like i guess it's almost 20 years ago what 17 years ago but like that's not that long ago no it's really not and that's why people it's amazing to me of when people make the comments of oh we don't deal with this and i'm like it is so close to us that it is we still have so much progress to do because someone is checking that box that people like me are confused every day yeah which it's like that is unnecessary you are so ignorant i want to well and they're most likely having a bunch of children and passing those yeah, ideas and, it, it's and exa- they're passing it on, passing it on, passing exactly. it on. Exactly. So like, like it's not something that you are born with. It is a taught practice. Absolutely. And you can't fix that if you can, these type of people continue to practice that hatred. Absolutely. And until someone steps in and says, no, this is not okay, Charles, Barbara, Marty. and Marty, y'all all gotta go. <laughs> yeah like are, are y'all up next to be on trial too because this is just some hatred ass yes ignorant yes. thought process that is going to end up harming other people and they are the ones that had his life maybe they have a mental hand. illness <laughs> probably <laughs> like i can't think of why you would say these things Unless something is wrong with you. Honestly, they probably have a nutrition deficiency from just, like, eating meat potatoes. <laughs> I think that's it. Like, they only eat potatoes. Just Meat potatoes. and potatoes. Red meat and potatoes. Oh, my Mad God. cow disease. Okay. And, I mean, they're staying within their bloodline, so let's not. Yes. <laughs> There's maybe some We'll try lightly, there. but, oh, my gosh. Yeah, so I was completely shocked when I read this and I had to include like literally all three of it but yeah they literally decided that Andre a black man should be put to death and there's no way that you can't tell me that his race had nothing to do with it yeah I mean because if he was white 
and Laura's white. Yeah. If they were not an interracial I mean, couple, they would have said, no, something's wrong with this man. We need to get him some help. We need to work If he was it. a white, wealthy man, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just like we're going back to your case, and hopefully everybody has listened to that one because I'm going back so much, but she's a white woman, you know? Yeah. And, and we're like, eh, she probably should spend a little more time in prison. <laughs> or like, ah, oh, why she get yeah, off so luckily? And we're like, over here, why is this man in solitary confinement? Yeah. And, I mean... These are the conversations and things that we need to address because these are the things that need to be fixed. Like, we cannot sit here and have Dina and Andre, who are clearly on the same line, walking around the, the same, same time. Exactly. Same area. It, it really is around the same time, same area, same everything. Like, we literally are checking all the boxes for you guys. And the difference is you are giving us completely different outcomes. Yep. Absolutely. And you don't want to say that that has to do with it, then what is it? What is it? Because I'd really like to know. They wouldn't be able to give you an answer. Because, I mean, Dina still has both his eyes and Andre has no sight now. Mm -hmm. But yet this man was going to be sentenced to death. Well, and the reason why the death penalty isn't allowed for the mentally ill, like if you were found to be mentally unwell or insane at the time of trial because that's going against the cruel unusual punishments you cannot put somebody that is not sane to death it's it's just crazy i mean all the aspects of this case from start to finish of like deeming him unfit to fit to then unfit again and all of the things in between it's just really unfortunate from the start of his life Till now, I mean, he's really just been plagued with injustice and cruel treatment, which is really unfair. Literally harming himself and others. It's it's like, not he's purposely calling out for help, but he is like screaming out for help. And we're like, oh yeah, you're crazy, but like not crazy enough to be crazy. So we're still going to kill you. Like, (laughs) how does that even make sense? sense? Yeah. Oh my goodness, so frustrating. But overall, an execution date for Andre has not been set, but the fight will continue if they do set a I'm date. I'm sorry, he's still in jail. Yeah. Oh, okay. did you expect anything else? <laughs> okay, yep, yep. <laughs> yes. uh, Charles, Barbara, and Marty, you all got a raise. <laughs> Thank you for your time and your dumbass. Like, M- I can't deal with this. Oh, that was only one cuss word. You want to <laughs> give it one more? I cannot deal with this. You kind of just let that slide in there, girl. Yeah. I mean, wow. I thought you would have known. I thought you would have known. You know, after you see these things and then people still do nothing, it's like, why do we still have to have these conversations? Because yeah. y'all are still stupid. Yeah. Like, y'all still don't get it. But, you know, in your next life, I plague this on you. <laughs> <laughs> I hope the Jezebel spirit comes and takes your <laughs> Yes, going back full circle, <laughs> full circle to Jezebel. Gosh. I agree. But I think what is saving Andre at this point, not saving, like he's still locked up, but they can't put him to death while he is unwell. I'm hoping that they don't just like sedate him so much and then they're like, hey, we got to get get moving on this execution, but I believe that they are still in the process of that appeal, so. Well, I don't know. I feel like times right now, if they 
did go through with this, I feel like they would get chastised. Well, at least I would hope. Like, to the point that they'd be like, ooh, we f***ed up. Yeah, but it's also Texas, you know? Like, I I don't don't know. Like, I, I really have strong hopes for the racial movement and, like, the diversity and inclusion that we are progressing and producing right now yeah. to where I would really hope that they actually are like, wow, if we do this, we're going to have so much backlash. Like, we will not recover. Yeah. I hear you. Oh, and just to go back, I think I said earlier that this is 2009. This appeal is 2021, September 2021. So it is recent. Ongoing, like, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so we're still there and the fight will continue so I'm hoping that we can at least get him some help that he desperately, desperately needs and we just don't kill this unwell and, you know, poor, tragically abused man. But I understand also, like, it did make me sad that the victims were kind of quiet. This case, like, the victims, they don't get a lot of talking about. Mm-hmm. But... <sighs> It's almost like... It's like they're all victims in this, though. Yeah. It's like Andre and his entire family suffered from the environments that they grew up in, which is really unfortunate. And I think if Laura, Andre Jr., and Leah have one thing, like, hopefully their deaths can do, like, some tiny, tiny bit of change for clearly racist Texas. (laughs) Like, us. Like, oh my goodness this case but i do think i now have a case that i hope we do an update on yeah i never thought i'd say that like i want to like is there a way i can sign up for like updates on (laughs) this like anytime a google search pops up or a new article on his name like i want to be signed up for so yeah i i definitely will want to check back in and hopefully good update well i'm glad that my google dive went deep enough to kind of bring this to light and have us have a conversation about it because I know I mean topics of mental illness are never easy to have and then when you throw the racial aspect into it it gets even harder so I'm really happy that we had this discussion today and just like Doyle Davis I will be praying that the Jezebel spirit also leaves these jurors as well. (laughs) I agree. I agree. Yeah, no, this was a good one to send me. So I am glad that you sent it to me. And at first I was like, oh, like I kind of want to do something else. But the more I dug into this and I was like, I'm glad you stuck with it. Yeah, me too. Me too. And hopefully we will come back around with good news. Well, before we wrap up, I just want to let you know, Andre, if for some reason you ever do draw attention to this episode, We are out here rooting for you in the great state of Texas, and we hope change and help is on the way soon. Amen. But overall, again, an execution date for Andre has not been set, but the fight will continue if they do set a date. It is unconstitutional to execute a mentally insane person. However, it's unclear whether or not the justice system will ever recognize Andre's insanity at the time of the murders. But let us know what you think. Do you think Andre was insane at the time of the murders? Let us know your thoughts on Instagram and Facebook at Logo Stories. And while you're there, don't forget to follow us if you haven't already. If you have a case suggestion, please reach out through our website at logostories.com. All of today's source material will be linked in the description box below. We'll be back with a new episode in a couple weeks. But until then, stay safe out there. It's a weird world.
Thank you to Alexander Nakarada for allowing us to use his sound nightmare for our theme music.